Church, it's good to be with you guys again today. Uh, if you guys do have your Bible, please meet me in Exodus chapter 1. We're actually starting a new sermon series today uh, called The Gospel According to Exodus. And, um, you know, we, we hope that this series is to uh, help you guys faithfully understand the book of Exodus. As we journey on, you're going to see um, God just really forming and shaping his people and, and God establishing his people to understand who he is and what it's like to follow God on their journey uh, in the wilderness, on their journey towards the promised land, you're going to see incredible um, miracles and you're going to see incredible things that God teaches his people. And so our hope as we go through the gospel according to Exodus is that you and I would see the good news of God um, as we continue on in journeying with God uh, in our lives today. Uh, we want you to experience Exodus on ground level. What, what that means is that we may not be able to preach verse by verse, but we're going to try to walk you guys through uh, scene by scene and help you guys kind of uh, see what they saw to be able to hear what they heard, to be able to feel what, what they felt. And so I'm excited. I hope you guys would journey on with us as we open our Bibles to the book of Exodus today. I'm going to read Exodus 1, uh, verse 1 through 12 for us. So again, please meet me there if you guys have your Bible with you. This is the reading of God's word. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set, set uh, taskmasters over them or slave masters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. Verse 12, but, this is a big but, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. That's the reading of God's word. Um, what we're going to see is that, you know, you guys already may know, Exodus is the second book of the Bible right after Genesis. It's written by uh, Moses, whom we're going to learn about as we go through the series. Uh, Moses writes this around 1400 B.C., and it's really just a story of, of, of God's deliverance uh, on behalf of Israel uh, as they experienced about 400 years in captivity and slavery in Egypt. This is the story of God setting them, through, uh, setting them free into the promised land. So here we have Exodus chapter 1, and the, 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 the opening words are, these are the names of the sons of Israel, right? And so what you're going to notice is that the opening line and the opening words of Exodus are actually a transition. It's, it's a book in which it's continuing on from the book of Genesis. In fact, there's a scholar by the name of Peter Enns. He says in his commentary that the very first word in Hebrew is actually the word and, and so it actually reads, and these are the names. 
and these are the names to highlight that the book of Exodus should not be read and, uh, and studied and understood in isolation from others. But the book of Exodus should be read and studied as a continuation from the Genesis story as one part of God's larger redemptive story. If you guys remember, Genesis ends with the story of a guy named Joseph. Joseph was the first one to enter Egypt. He was the favorite son of Jacob, but despised by his brothers. And so there's an incredible story of how his brothers would sell Joseph to slavery. And um, as he's taken into incredible affliction and hardship, uh, Joseph finds favor with God and eventually taken to Egypt. And in the providence of God, uh, Joseph rises to power and he plays this prominent role in Egypt. He has government connections. And so what happens is even in times of famine, he's able able to provide food uh, for his family. And it's in Egypt that they actually reunite together. And so Moses begins Exodus with a genealogy trying to lay out the names of the 12 sons of Jacob or the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, I've heard it once said that the reading of the 12 tribes of Israel is much like reading the, the introduction of the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples in the New Testament because it's signifying that God is doing a new work. And so as you read Exodus, as you open Exodus, and as you open your heart to the book of Exodus, I want you guys to, to be open to the new work that God is doing back then, and the new work that God may be doing in you, and the new work that God may be doing through our church. But here's the thing, as you read Exodus chapter 1 and you realize, okay, this is a, a continuation from Genesis, the story of Joseph, and the first word are, words are, and these are the names of the sons of Israel, right? Uh, this is not the most exciting way to open a story, open a book of 40 chapters, to, to list some names and begin with a genealogy. And so the question for us as we read this is, what's the point why not go straight into the story of Moses, go straight into the burning bush, the parting of the Red Sea, more exciting things? Why does Moses start with a genealogy, a list of the names, which brings me to my first point. And here's what I want us to see. My first point, and here's, here's the point, it's that God does not forget his people. The reason why Moses would lay out the names, specific names, is for the people of Israel, the second generation of Exodus, for them to remember that God remembers, that God knows, that God does not forget his people. That's good news, right? And so we read these names, and, and we don't even know what they look like. That would be awesome if there was some kind of Facebook profile next to each one, but we don't have that. We don't have their resume we don't have their statistics on what they did or how they live. It's just, just a list of names. And, you know, and so for us, we're like, what is the point of all this? But to God, they were his covenant people. I want you to think about if the tables were turned, right? If the tables were turned and you were the one that was supposed to remember or you were the one that was supposed to be remembered, right? If you live long enough, um, you're going to probably encounter a time where you will forget someone's name. I, I've done that myself. You're going to forget someone's birthday. Not a good thing to do, right, especially if it's your spouse. But you're going to forget people's names, and you might forget people's birthdays and significant uh, moments and memories. Or on the flip side, you might be the one that is forgotten. You ever been there where you feel like, and maybe you're there now, where you feel like you, you just 
no one remembers. Maybe you shared a prayer request with someone and they don't seem to remember. Or maybe you shared your name with someone a few times and then every time you meet them, they're asking you your name. That feeling of being forgotten is, is real and it matters to us. And I think what Moses is trying to do is for, uh, for us to help us see that God remembers your name. That God does not forget his people. Right? I remember in my years of being a youth pastor in California. And um, I served as a youth pastor a total of 10 years. And I got to meet a lot of different junior high kids and high school kids in our county and our cities and different areas. And sometimes they would come and, and stick around until uh, they graduate. Sometimes they just visit a few times and, and, and we'll never see them again. But I remember these kids would come and, and every time someone brings a friend, they would introduce them to me and, and they, would, they would tell me their name and tell me what high school they're from or, uh, or how they came to our church. And uh, I kid you not, nine out of ten times when they come back for a second visit, they ask me one question, and they, they don't ask me about church programs. They're not asking me about theological, biblical questions on how do I know Jesus more. They're, they're not interested in that. What they want to know is they, they would come to me and, and say, Pastor James, do you remember my name? And it's more like, do you remember my name? Do you remember my name? But it's, but it's do you remember my name? This happened all the time. And most likely the ones that... I was able to remember were the ones that actually came back because it matters to them and it matters to us and it matters to the people of God. You see, for these kids, they, they didn't care so much about how biblically sound the sermon was or how funny it was or how, how, how the stories really touched them. It wasn't about what they felt. It wasn't even about the programs. All they wanted to know as they came to church who represented Christ in the world, all they wanted to know was, do I matter enough? Pastor James, do you remember my name? And I'm here to tell you that God is not like us that forgets. God does not forget his people. Amen. God does not forget you. God, is, God does not forget our church. God knows his people. God knows you. God knows our church. God knows all of our campuses. God knows all of our people. He does not forget you. He actually knows the beginning and he knows your end. He knows your circumstance. He knows your struggle. He knows the, 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 the things that you're going through, the things that you've been through. Whether it's the global pandemic that we've been in for five months or whether it's church challenges that we face throughout the year or whether it's marital issues at home, whether it's health problems that maybe others don't know about, whether it's family troubles that you have, whether it's financial hardships, I want you to know everyone else might not know, but God knows. And God does not forget. He knows your struggles. He knows your burdens. He knows that you're stressed out. He knows that you have trouble sleeping at night. He knows your anxiety. He knows where you're anxious. He knows what you've had to endure even recently. He knows what you've had to put up with. He knows the things and the places that you've had to leave. He knows where you've had to go. He knows. God knows. God does not forget his people. When you read Exodus 1 and you're reading the names, I want you to remember God knows his people. 
And I want you to bring it closer to your heart and closer to your home. And I want you to look at, if you're married or have family, you look at your spouse and look at your children and say, God knows us. God knows my child. God knows my spouse. God knows my family. God knows our church. God knows me. He does not forget. And so in the opening verses of chapter 1 of Exodus, we see that there's a list of people, but these, again, were not just any people or random people. These were selected people. These were the chosen covenant people to God. These are people that God had made covenant with, which leads me to my second point, which is that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. So, so for one, the names are so that we would remember God does not forget his people, but also as we read on, it's going to tell us that through Exodus 1 that he is also faithful to fulfill his promises. Let me, let me expand on that a little bit. See, Moses wants us to see that God um, has these purposes and promises that he's made through, through the book of Genesis. And in Exodus, it's a continuation of God working. God not forsaking his people, God not pushing the restart button and trying to start over, but God redeeming. There's a redemptive work of God and his hand on his covenant people and promises and purposes he's laid out in his people in Genesis, even in chapter 1. You're going to see it's now being fulfilled as we see Exodus unfold. It says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, there should be a slide on the screen This is the creation mandate that God had given to Adam and Eve. And he says, and God blessed them. Right? God is a God of blessing, not of cursing. God blessed them. He blessed Adam and Eve. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Right? Genesis 1.20, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So that was God's purpose in creation. For not just Adam and Eve, for, but for all of his people, for all of humanity, especially for his covenant people. This command actually was also given to Noah. It's repeated in Genesis 9. Um, it's also mentioned to Abraham. In fact, when you turn to Genesis 12, to Abraham, it's not only just God's purpose. It's actually God's promise. He says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And later he promises to Abraham that, that Abraham, you will be a father of many nations, right? What that means is that, that Abraham is going to have a lot of children. He's going to be fruitful, so to speak. And they're going to multiply. And the people that come from the lineage, lineage of, of Abraham, they're going to be a, a multitude of people. They're going to be generation after generation, right? And Abraham will be this father of many nations. And so when you look at Exodus, I want you to know real quick, at the end of it, the people that actually get to the promised land as they exit Egypt, it numbers tens of thousands of people. Tens of thousands of Israelites that exit Egypt. But when they entered Egypt in chapter 1, there were only 70. So so God had taken them from 70 to tens of thousands that would eventually exit Egypt. Egypt that would experience an exodus. So what we see in Exodus chapter 1 is this expansion, is this growth of God's covenant people. And here's what the text says for us, that the more they were oppressed, the more 
they multiplied. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Every now and then you get um, some verses in the Bible, at least maybe because I'm a preacher and, and I just love the scriptures. I look for those verses that, that don't need an extra sermon. Like this is one of those verses that just, it's a sermon in itself. It just blesses me. When I read that and it just says that the more they were oppressed, the more, the more they multiplied. That itself blesses me because it tells me something about God. See, it wasn't the other way around in which, you know, the, the more they, they multiplied, the more they were oppressed. But it's the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. The question is, how does that happen? How do you get a people that's under incredible pain and suffering and injustice, and you would think that that would wipe out a generation, you would wipe out a people, a nation, a tribe, and yet the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. See, the answer is this. It's not because somehow the Israelites were more, were more fertile or, or strategic in how they wanted to have children. They, weren't, they, they didn't have like family meetings and say, how can we have more children? Right? That wasn't their plan. They were too busy in slavery. They were busy being separated from their homes. Yet the scriptures teach us that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And here's why. The Israelites multiplied because of the faithfulness of God. It was God's faithfulness in fulfilling his purpose that he gave to his people. He, he purposed it in Adam and Eve, in humanity. He purposed it in Noah. He promised it to Abraham. And he's now doing it through Joseph and, and his people and the Israelites, the 70. Now God is going to increase because of his faithfulness. So the fruitfulness of Israel is attributed to the faithfulness of God. Their fruitfulness was because of God's faithfulness. So already in the first few verses of Exodus, we see that God does not forget his people. And we also see that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. He doesn't forget what he told Abraham. He doesn't forget the purpose he gave to Adam and Eve or to Noah. He doesn't forget those. But he remembers and he fulfills. And, he, and in his providence, he works things out. That even in the midst of incredible pain and suffering, where people are so easy to leave God and reject God and, and, and say it's God's fault, they, they got more of God's faithfulness. God continued to show them his favor and his mercy and his grace upon Israel, and it was the faithful hand and grace and mercy and hesed and love and steadfast love of God that kept Israel in a place in the midst of oppression. The, they, uh, they, they multiplied and they increased and they were able to fill the land. Which brings me to my last point here that God's plan often includes growing pains. See, God's plan often includes growing pains. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if, if, if God's plan did not include growing pains? Amen. By myself, maybe. Where we can just grow without having any discomfort. Anybody there watching agree? That'd be awesome. I would sign up earlier maybe as a Christian, right? But when we look at Scripture, one of the ways in which God reveals himself 
one of the ways we see more of God's grace and mercy and steadfast love and faithfulness is in the midst of suffering that helps us long for more of him. That helps us to not get comfortable as exiles in the world. Right, so that we don't get comfortable here in Chicago because if there were no hardships and no suffering, the thing about our hearts is that it's so wicked, it would not long for heaven. It would long to stay here and just have what we have and to just go after what we see. But suffering works and God's redemptive hand in suffering works in a way in which even in the midst of incredible affliction, it causes an awareness and a longing for more of God in heaven. And so we see that God's plan often includes growing pains. We live in a broken world where there is suffering, there is injustice, there, there is, there is um, oppression. And, and this is not to say that God is causing that, but it's to say that God is not absent in it. That God is doing something in the midst of suffering. See, God's promises and God's purposes for your life, for our church, for, for the world, for his covenant people, God's promises are not always fulfilled in comfort. It's not always fulfilled as we lay comfortably on our couches and our church seats and pews. Oftentimes, God, God's promises are fulfilled and, and, and seen through afflictions and adversity and suffering. And, and we won't go into all the reasons why that is today. But you look at the Israelites that just started with 70, just 70. And yet they multiplied. They increased. They grew strong. They did incredible work in Egypt. But not apart from some incredible growing pains. See, these are people who entered Egypt with favor. See, if you remember the, the continuation of the Gen Gen Genesis story to Exodus is one in which they didn't just enter into slavery, right? They, they entered into Egypt because it was supposed to be good for the reuniting of Joseph's family and with the connections they had in the government. They were a protected people at the highest level. But because of their uh, fruitfulness and increase and multiplying and, and the, them becoming stronger, that, that, then they became slaves and, and the Egyptians would, would, would put them over Slave masters and putting them under severe oppression and hard labor. They were taken from agriculture, which is their normal kind of work and, um, and, and, and means of living. And they were assigned to incredible uh, task of um, building entire kind of areas of, of cities. And not just to do the labor, but also to provide the materials. And they just built these cities from ground up. And what happened is that it would take individual Hebrews away from their family. It would split families apart. Husbands would be away from their wives. You know, mothers would be away from their children. And the plan of the Egyptians was that, was that by doing so, it would separate the families of God's covenant people and they would no longer be able to increase and multiply is what they thought. But the greater the oppression, the greater the growth. The greater the oppression, the greater the growth. You know, I think about um, growing pains for us as children that are growing up. As you think about kind of the stages that we go through, because of a five-year-old, uh, I see him at his stage now as a toddler, as a, as a pre-K. And you ever notice, like, 
you know, as you get older, you, you realize, or at least you think, man, life just gets harder and harder, and you wish you can just be a kid again, and, right? And when you thought high school was hard, you got to college, and you're like, man, this is even harder. And you thought, you know, after college will be easier, but after college, it just gets harder. And, and that, that's just kind of what life seems to be. And then you look at a toddler, right? For me, I'm looking at my son, or, or if you guys, you know, maybe around other kids, and you look at preschoolers, you look at toddlers, and they spend hours building Legos with no stress in the world, right? Or you look at, you know, coloring Mickey's nose with a crayon, and they're at it for like two hours with no stress in the world, right? They're doing puzzles, and they're playing in the sand or whatever it may be, and they've got no stress in the world. And as adults, you look at them, and you're just like, man, you better just enjoy that now because it's not going to be Legos and Mickey Mouse forever. It's going to be some hard times coming your way. I think for me, I look back and I think it started when maybe like mid-elementary, I realized life was getting harder when uh, school started to give homework, right? I don't know if you guys liked homework. I for sure didn't. Homework kind of put this like dark cloud over my head. Like as if school was not hard enough, you'd have to go home and do more work and you'd have to bring it to the teacher and it had to actually be good and be correct, right? Homework kind of made uh, uh, life difficult for me in elementary, and I thought, man, I wish I could go back to like kindergarten or preschool where they had nap time. But no, it's, it's all business now in elementary, right? And then you get to junior high, and then you hit puberty, and then like things start happening even with your own body and your own life, and you're like, and you're dealing with not only with homework and the added academics, but you're dealing with peer pressure. You guys remember that? Having to fit in, looking cool, dressing a certain way, talking a certain way, making sure that you're in, in the in crowd, making sure that you're not left behind. And the pressure and the weight of that, it was real for a 12-year-old kid. And then you get to high school. Do you remember high school? Like on top of homework and peer pressure, you have this thing called the SAT. Do you guys remember SAT? Right? It's the first three letters of Satan, if you guys didn't know. Right? SAT. It was, this, again, this dark cloud where you're like, you just know that it's coming, and you just see the dark cloud coming your way. And for years, at least for me, I had to start in ninth grade and, and study two years this thing called the SAT. I don't think it really helped, but I remember I dreaded it, dread going to the classes to study. And that SAT just was this, like, incredible uh, cloud just hovering over, and, and you couldn't wait, right? Remember, like, I can't wait till senior year. can't wait to college when that's over. But you, look, you realize that life gets harder and harder as you become more of an adult. It gets more challenging. Um, but you ever look back on your life and look on those days and you ever wonder, like, why did I stress out so much? Even with SAT, I think even now I look back and I'm like, why did I stress for three years for the SAT? I mean, it's not that it, that it wasn't challenging. It's not that that stress wasn't real. It's just that my perspective was limited. And I stressed so much because I only knew very little, right? And you ever wonder, like, if you can go back in time, you ever think, like, what would you tell your younger self? What would you say to yourself in high school? For me, I would just, if I can go back and talk to a 15-year-old James, I would just say, man, just chill out, relax, don't worry, keep playing golf. It's going to be all right, and in many ways, that's how I want to raise my kid, 
is that I want them to grow up and face difficult challenges and situations and face affliction and face adversity. But I want to tell them and remind them it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And it's not because we have so much strength and grace and ability and will in ourselves to overcome. But it's that God does not forget his people. And it's that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And what happens is that as we understand that, you know, it's not that life gets easier. It's that as we grow in Christ, our perspective changes. It's not that our challenges change, but it's our perspective that changes. We get perspective of God's plan often through our pain. So what happens is as you read through Exodus, you're going to see that every challenge and every pain, every hardship, every trial can contribute to your growth. Putting our faith in God and trust in God will oftentimes take us to roller coasters in life. You know, and though in Christ we are set free from sin, as long as we're on this side of eternity, we're not, we're not perfectly free from suffering. And what I've experienced and what I've come to know is that those who live for comfort, suffering feels like captivity. Suffering feels like slavery. But those that live in Christ, suffering is a growing pain. Those that live in Christ, church for you and I, that live in Christ, hidden with Christ, suffering is a growing pain. You might have heard this question before. But in your suffering, do you become bitter or do you become better? What would it look like if we go through life with absolute certainty that God does not forget his people and that he is faithful to fulfill his promises? See, what would happen is that the affliction that should have defined you will actually refine you. It will purify you. And what should have made you bitter actually can make you better. Exodus tells us that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied because of God's faithfulness. This is not just true of Israelites. This is true of the Christian church. One of the church fathers that I came to know of in seminary was a guy named Tertullian. And he once said that the blood of martyrs is a seed of the church. The blood of martyrs is a seed of the church. And what he meant was that the more Christians, the more the church was persecuted, the more the church actually multiplied. And so what a way of remembering God's faithfulness and what a way of remembering what God's people are like and what God's people are meant to be. That God's people are meant to be a, a nation, a tribe. We're under affliction and adversity. We don't fold under uncertainty. But under the faithfulness of God, we continue to grow. Martin Luther King said, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in the moments of comfort and convenience where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. See, Exodus is much more than God's people going to Canaan. Exodus was about God's people growing out of Egypt. That's good. That's an amen by myself. Exodus is much more than God's people going to Canaan. It's about God's people growing out of Egypt. God's plan was for them to grow. So when you read through Exodus, you're going to see that God is much more than a GPS navigation system. He's not saying turn left in three miles, stop at that light, and turn right when you get to that desert. But what you're going to see in Exodus is that God is their Lord. He establishes worship 
and rhythms like Sabbath. He establishes laws and commandments and structures and orders. He establishes his presence and his glory so as to form them and mold them and grow them into a nation that fears and follows God. And my hope, church, my hope for you is that we would see the faithfulness of God as we read through Exodus, that we don't have to look back one day and say, man, God was with us, but that we would see our day today and see that God is with us right now. That God is with us right now. I want to encourage you this week and apply this verse to your heart. It's Philippians 1.6. It should be on the screen. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That wasn't just true of Israel in Exodus. That wasn't just true of the church in the New Testament. That is true of every Christian right now following Jesus. That he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in our church will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, right? And see, this is true of the church that the more they were pressed, the more they multiplied. And this is true of Israel. This is true of Christians because this is true of Christ. The more he was oppressed, the more God exalted him. You see, because our God is no str stranger to oppression. Our God is no stranger to persecution. Jesus, the Son of God, the light of the world, came without blemish, came without sin. He lived a perfect life. He gave himself to the lost, to the least, and to the last. And yet he was oppressed by the Roman Empire. He was rejected by the religious leaders. And he was persecuted at the highest level. And he died a humble death and a horrible death on the cross. And yet three days days later he rose again and he did so so that you would not be forgotten he did so so that your name would be written in his book of life so that his purposes and his plans would be fulfilled in your life and he was rejected so that you can be accepted i'm going to ask the praise team to come because I'm, I'm a minute and 20 seconds over but as you enter another week church I just want to bless you with this and remind you, may you be reminded that in the midst of afflictions and hardships, no matter what you're going through right now, God does not forget you. God is faithful to fulfill his promises in and through you. And oftentimes, God's plan is seen through growing pains. May you not forget that God for does not forget his people. He does not forget his promises and may he who began a good work in you finish it and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.